This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we honor the year in music for 1993, along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1993. We also give you a reason to vote for Willie Nelson to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Grammy Museum Hall of Fame in Los Angeles, California. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 1993. In music, it was the year that music genres, alternative rock, grunge, and hip-hop began to completely shift the musical landscape. On January 8, 1993, the United States Postal Service put out the Elvis Presley postage stamps, which became a huge hit. Michael Jackson performed the halftime show at the Super Bowl, then was interviewed by Oprah Winfrey on television a couple of weeks later. The interview became a ratings blockbuster. But soon thereafter, in late August, Michael Jackson was accused for the first time of child molestation. The scandal consumed Jackson's career until his passing and even afterwards. Meanwhile, Prince changed his name to a symbol during a dispute with his record label. Among the landmark albums that were huge in 1993 were Nirvana's In Utero, Pearl Jam's Verses, The Wu-Tang Clan's Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, The Smashing Pumpkin's Siamese Dream, Counting Crow's August and Everything After, Sheryl Crow's Tuesday Night Music Club, Suede's self-titled album, Blur's Modern Life is Rubbish, A Tribe Called Quest's Midnight Marauders, and Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville. Other big albums that made their mainstream run in 1993 were The Spin Doctor's Pocket Full of Kryptonite, Pearl Jam's 10, Aerosmith's Get a Grip, U2's Zuropa, Mariah Carey's Music Box, Janet Jackson's Janet, Stone Temple Pilots' Core, Garth Brooks's The Chase, Eric Clapton Unplugged, Kenny G's Breathless, Billy Ray Cyrus's Some Gave All, and Dr. Dre's classic album, The Chronic. On the pop charts, R&B actually dominated the year, with the vast majority of the top 50 songs being done by R&B artists such as Janet Jackson, SWV, Jodeci, and Shanice. The biggest selling single, according to Billboard magazine, was Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You, followed by tag team's Whoop, There It Is, UB40's version of the Elvis Presley classic Can't Help Falling in Love, Janet Jackson's That's the Way Love Goes, Silk's Freak Me, SWV's Weak, Shy's If I Ever Fall in Love, Mariah Carey's Dream Lover, Rex and Effects Rump Shaker, and Snow's Informer. In country music, it was a year of Garth Brooks as he dominated country music and also continued his mainstream crossover success. His album, The Chase, became a huge blockbuster in 1993, while his 1990 release, No Fences, continued to have huge sales numbers. The Eagles' tribute album, Common Thread, led to hell freezing over and getting the Eagles back together again. 
other big country albums were by Vince Gill, who would himself eventually join the Eagles in the 2020s, Alan Jackson, Brooks and Dunn, Billy Ray Cyrus, Reba McIntyre, Dwight Yoakam, along with a Jimmy Rogers tribute album and a compilation album called Pure Country. Singles-wise, it was the year that Miley Cyrus's dad, Billy Ray Cyrus, became a big star as his song, Achy Breaky Heart, became huge along with its country line dance, the Achy Breaky. Not making that up, that actually happened. Other big singles were put out by Alan Jackson, Vince Gill, Tracy Lawrence, Lori Morgan, John Michael Montgomery, Travis Tritt, Mary Chapin Carpenter, and Sammy Kershaw. In hip-hop, while New York rappers A Tribe Called Quest and the Wu-Tang Clan made their mark in 1993, plus Jersey's own Naughty by Nature's party anthem, Hip Hop Hooray, the scene actually shifted west side to California. As Dr. Dre's late December 1992 released The Chronic, that became huge in 1993, along with Snoop Dogg's mid-November 1993 release Doggy Style, both exploded onto the hip-hop scene, along with Cypress Hill's Insane in the Brain and Ice Cube and Das Effects' Check Yourself. Canadian rapper Snow had the hit in former Paperboy's song Diddy became a big hit, Willie Max and Raphael Sadig had Can't Get Enough, and Rex and Effects had their party anthem, Rump Shaker. All I want to do is zoom, 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 and a boom, boom. You could actually say that 1993 was the year of the anthem. While hip-hop had its party anthems that are still big to this day, dance music had its club anthems that everybody now knows and loves. Tag teams Womp There It Is and Robin S's Show Me Love are still played in clubs, sporting events, and festivals. Meanwhile, Eurodance made its presence felt with club anthems like Snap's Rhythm is a Dancer and Hathaway's iconic song What is Love. There were, of course, the usual pop, R&B, and hip-hop crossover artists who had popular dance remixes, including Ace of Bass, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, Snow, Paperboy, and, strangely enough, John Bon Jovi, whose rock ballad, Bed of Roses, was turned into a chart-topping dance remix. Go figure. In Latin music, the big artists were Selena, Luis Miguel, Fruco y Sus Tesos, Juan Luis Guerrera E440, Elvis Crespo, Olga Tanon, Carlos Vives, and Albita. Bands that formed in 1993 included 112, All Saints, The Crystal Method, Daft Punk, The Backstreet Boys, Ben Folds 5, The Donnas, Boys Zone, Garbage, Grave Diggers, Jurassic 5, Jars of Clay, Jimmy Eat World, Corn, Modest Mouse, Papa Roach, The Presidents of the United States, Savage Garden, Sister Hazel, Supergrass, Tag Team, Third Eye Blind, Tonic, Wilco, and everybody's favorite holiday season band, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Bands that either broke up before their inevitable reunions or announced their hiatus in 1993 included Another Bad Creation, The Dan Reed Network, Echo and the Bunnymen, Eric B. and Rakim, Exodus, Faster Pussycat, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, Men Without Hats, New Order, The Pixies, Striper, The Thompson Twins, Television, Triumph, and Simon and Garfunkel in yet another one of their many, many, many breakups. 
Bands that actually got back together in 1993 included Big Star, Steely Dan, and The Seekers. Artists who were born in 1993 included Zayn Malik, Niall Horan, and Liam Payne, all of One Direction. Megan Trainer, Suga of BTS, Chance the Rapper, Perry Edwards of Little Mix, D.O. of EXO, Tanash, Saweetie, Allie Brooke of Fifth Harmony, DJ Vintage Culture, EDM artist Alice Ivy, singer-songwriters Ariana Grande, Caliuchis, Taylor Momsen, Kiki Palmer, Bryson Tiller, IU, and Tones and I, singers and actresses Miranda Cosgrove, Naomi Scott, Victoria Justice, Rachel Trachenberg, singer and daughter of former President Donald Trump, Tiffany Trump, grime rapper Stormzy, and rapper Shy Girl. Artists who passed away in 1993 included punk rock singer Gigi Allen, Ray Gillen of Black Sabbath, Michael Clark of The Birds, country superstar Conway Twitty, Frank Zappa, opera great Marian Anderson, jazz great Dizzy Gillespie, Mick Ronson, Sun Ra, Toy Caldwell of the Marshall Tucker Band, Hector Laveau, singer and actor River Phoenix, blues guitarist Albert Collins and John Campbell, and songwriter Sammy Kahn. At the 1993 Grammy Awards, it was the year of the soundtracks, as the Bodyguard soundtrack, which was also the year's biggest-selling album of 1993, won Album of the Year, while Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You won Record of the Year, A Whole New World from Disney's Aladdin won Song of the Year, and Tony Braxton, who I don't believe had a soundtrack hit at that year, actually won Best New Artist. At the American Music Awards, Whitney Houston was the big winner of the night, taking home seven of the eight categories that she was nominated for. At the MTV Video Music Awards, Pearl Jam's Jeremy won Video of the Year. At the Billboard Music Awards, Garth Brooks was named Artist of the Year. At the Eurovision Singing Contest that was held in Ireland, Ireland actually won for the song In Your Eyes. At the Tony Awards, Kiss of the Spider Woman won Best Musical, and Anna Christie won Best Revival of a Musical. Musically, at the Academy Awards, The Boss, Bruce Springsteen, won Best Song for Streets of Philadelphia from the movie Philadelphia, and John Williams won Best Score for the movie Schindler's List. The Pulitzer Prize for Music went to Christopher Rouse for Trombone Concerto, Leon Kirshner for Music for Cello and Orchestra, and Joan Tower for Violin Concerto. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony was held on January 12, 1993 at the Century Plaza Hotel in Los Angeles, California. At the ceremony, the Hall inducted record producer Milton Gabler and American Bandstand TV host and entrepreneur Dick Clark into the non-performers category. Dinah Washington was inducted into the early influencers category. In the performers category, the Hall inducted Ruth Brown, Cream, The Doors, Sly and the Family Stone, Etta James, Van Morrison, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and this next artist. Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers were a doo-wop group that gained prominence in the late 1950s. The group was formed in New York City in 1954 and consisted of five members, Frankie Lyman, Herman Santiago, Jimmy Merchant, 
Joe Negroni and Sherman Garns. They were known for their distinctive harmonies and for their youthful energy, which helped to define the sound of rock and roll at the time. In 1954, Frankie Lyman was singing on the street corner with some friends when Herman Santiago overheard him and asked him to join his group, the Ermines. Lyman agreed and began performing with the group, but it soon became clear that he was the standout talent. The group changed their name to the Teenagers and Lyman became their lead singer. The group began performing at local talent shows and clubs, honing their craft and developing a unique sound that blended doo-wop harmonies with Latin rhythms. In 1955, they caught the attention of record producer George Goldner, who signed them to his G Records label. Their first single, Why Do Fools Fall In Love, became an instant smash hit. The song reached number one on the R&B charts and number six on the pop charts, making them one of the first African-American groups to achieve mainstream success and making Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers one of the hottest acts in rock and roll at the time and one of the most popular groups of any music genre of the late 1950s. Their success continued with a string of hit singles, including I Want You to Be My Girl, Goody Goody, I Promise to Remember, Share, Why Do Birds Sing So Gay, and The ABCs of Love, all of which showcased their tight harmonies and infectious melodies. They also appeared in several films, including Rock, Rock, Rock and Mr. Rock and Roll. The group's popularity was further cemented by their live performances, which were known for their energy and enthusiasm. They toured extensively throughout the United States, performing at concerts and on television shows, and became one of the most sought-after acts in the country. During their brief run in the spotlight, tensions within the group began to emerge. One of the main sources of tension in the group was the unequal distribution of fame and attention. Frankie Lyman, as the lead singer and songwriter, was the clear star of the group and received the lion's share of media attention and fan adoration. This led to jealousy, of course, and resentment among the other members who felt overshadowed and undervalued. Additionally, there were personal conflicts and disagreements between the group members. For instance, there was tension between Lyman and Jimmy Merchant, the group's second lead singer, over who should have more vocal solos. There were also disputes over finances, with some members feeling that they were not being fairly compensated for their contributions. Another factor contributing to the group's tensions was the influence of external forces, specifically the group's manager, Morris Levy. Levy was an extremely notorious figure in the music industry, known for his shady business practices and mafia-style ways of doing business. Levy's control over the group's finances and career decisions caused a lot of resentment and mistrust among the members who felt that they were being exploited for Levy's personal gain. And then... There was Frankie Lyman himself, who in particular struggled with drug addiction and legal issues, and his behavior often caused tension within the group itself. Lyman's troubles with drugs actually began in his teenage years when he was introduced to heroin by an older musician. He quickly became addicted and his drug use escalated over time, leading to a number of negative consequences for his personal and professional life. In addition to his drug addiction, Lyman also had numerous run-ins with the law. 
He was arrested multiple times for drug possession and other drug-related offenses, and also faced charges for stealing a woman's purse and for failing to pay taxes on his earnings as a musician. Unfortunately, all of the group's resentment of Frankie, the group's bad finances, and the continuation of Frankie's drug and legal problems all came to a head in 1957 when Frankie left the group. Despite his legal issues and struggles with addiction, Lyman continued to perform and record music throughout the 1960s. However, his career declined rapidly in the late 1960s, due in part to his drug use and erratic behavior. Lyman's drug addiction and legal issues came to a tragic end in 1968, when he died of a heroin overdose in his grandmother's bathroom. He was just 25 years old at the time of his death. As for the rest of the group, the remaining members continued to perform under the name The Teenagers, but were unable to recapture the success that they had achieved with Lyman as their frontman. The group continued to experience internal conflicts and lineup changes before eventually disbanding in the early 1960s. Frankie Lyman and The Teenagers are an important part of the history of rock and roll. The group's unique sound and youthful energy helped to define the sound of rock and roll in the late 1950s, and they were one of the first racially integrated groups to achieve mainstream success in rock and roll, and especially doo-wop. At that time, when segregation was still the norm in many parts of America, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers brought together members of different races and backgrounds to create a sound that was both fresh and exciting for its time. Their music helped to bridge the gap between different communities and brought people together through the power of music. In addition to helping to diversify rock and roll groups in the early days of the genre, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers were also instrumental in helping to shape the sound of rock and roll itself. Their tight harmonies and catchy melodies helped to establish the doo-wop style that would go on to influence countless artists in the years to come and help to shape the sound of early rock and roll. Their music was a major influence on other doo-wop groups of the era, such as the Drifters, the Coasters, and the Platters. They were also one of the first groups to incorporate Latin rhythms into their music, helping to pave the way for the Latin rock movement that would emerge in the 1960s and beyond. The group itself has actually been the subject of pop culture tributes. Their music, for instance, has been included in numerous film and television soundtracks and has also been covered by a wide range of artists, including the Beach Boys and Boys to Men, along with Miss Diana Ross, who had a chart-topping solo hit with her version of Why Do Fools Fall in Love. The group has also been the subject of a number of documentaries and biopics which have helped to keep their legacy alive and to introduce their music to new generations of fans. Some of the most notable of these include Why Do Fools Fall in Love, a 1998 biopic about Frankie Lyman, and the Teenagers, The Story of Frankie Lyman and His Girlfriends, a 2007 documentary about the group. In addition to all of the pop culture love that the group has received, individual members of the group have also been recognized for their contributions to music. 
Herman Santiago, for example, was inducted into the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 2003, and Joe Negroni was posthumously inducted in 2010. Despite their relatively short career, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers left a lasting impact on the history of rock and roll. Their music continues to be celebrated and enjoyed by fans around the world, and their influence can be heard in the works of countless artists and musicians. By breaking down barriers and creating a sound that was both innovative and inclusive, they helped to shape the direction of rock and roll when the genre was becoming popular and also to ensure rock and roll's enduring legacy as one of the most important musical genres of the 20th century. Presented for induction by the singing group Boys to Men, Frankie Lyman, Herman Santiago, Jimmy Merchant, Joe Negroni, and Sherman Garns, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Class of 1993. Before we get to the rest of the podcast, we'd like to tell you about our other podcast, the Music History Today podcast. Every day we tell you what happened on that date in music history along with music releases, birthdays, and passings. So, if you like this podcast and want more music history, then please search the Music History Today podcast in audio or video form on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast from. This week, we're going to make the case for you to vote for Willie Nelson to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now... Before you get all crazy about having country artists inducted into the hall, realize that country music and rock and roll came up together and both were influenced by the blues. In fact, having country artists, especially the ones who crossed over to the pop charts, is something that's way overdue as for the longest time, one of the only country artists who actually made it into the performers category was Johnny Cash. With that said, Let's get to Willie Nelson's case. Willie Nelson is a singer-songwriter, guitarist, and sometimes an actor. He was born on April 29, 1933 in Abbott, Texas. Nelson is considered one of the most influential figures in country music and has released over 200 albums during his over 60-year career. Nelson began his musical career in the 1950s as a songwriter in Nashville, Tennessee, where he wrote songs for other artists, including Patsy Cline's country smash hit, Crazy. He signed with Liberty Records in the 1960s and released his first album, And Then I Wrote, in 1962. In the following 60-plus years, he continued to release albums, including Red-Headed Stranger in 1975, which is considered one of his best works and actually helped to establish him as a major force in country music. Along with that, Willie was a force on the pop charts in an era which saw other country artists like Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton getting pop hits. Willie had a big pop duet with Julio Iglesias called To All the Girls I've Loved Before, which hit top five and was probably his biggest crossover hit worldwide. He also had crossover hits like Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys and Good Hearted Woman, 
both with Waylon Jennings. Also, he had the hit Always On My Mind, along with My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys, Let It Be Me, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, and the iconic On the Road Again. All of those songs, by the way, hit the Top 40 Pop Singles chart. In addition to his music, Nelson is also known for his activism and support of various causes, including famously the legalization of marijuana. He has always been a strong advocate for the use of renewable energy and has a farm in Texas that is powered entirely by wind and solar energy. He is also notoriously not a fan of the IRS, but that's a story for another day. Nelson has won numerous awards and honors throughout his career, including multiple Grammy Awards, the Kennedy Center Honors, along with induction into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Willie continues to tour and perform to this very day, although his health has been up and down as of late. Overall, Willie Nelson is a legendary figure in the world of music and continues to be an inspiration to fans and musicians alike. He has made a lasting impact on both country and pop music and also American culture, which is why you, yes you, should give serious consideration to voting for him to be inducted into this year's class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you can do that by going to rockhall.com and putting in your vote. You can vote in the fan category for five different artists every single day up until the voting ends in about a couple of months, actually. End of April, I believe, is the actual date. The link to the voting is in the show notes. This week's Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles, California. There are actually three Grammy Museums now, with one in Newark, New Jersey, and the other in Cleveland, Mississippi, to go along with the main one in L.A. The Recording Academy runs the museums, but has been inducting members into its Hall of Fame since 1974. The main Grammy Museum itself, with its Hall of Fame wing, opened in 2008 at L.A. Live, which is the downtown L.A. complex that has the formerly known as the Staples Center. The museum has four floors, including a theater. Some of the past exhibits there have paid tribute to John Lennon, Roy Orbison, Latin singer Jenny Rivera, and the world of hip-hop. Plus, they have ticketed evening discussions with artists such as Debbie Gibson. Ticket prices are normally $18 for adults, $15 for seniors and members with ID, at least military members, $12 for college students with ID and kids 5 through 17. Children four and under and museum members are free. Its normal hours are Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., Saturday from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m., and closed on Tuesdays. However, due to the changing seasons and the way tourists show up every now and then, check the museum's website for updated hours and pricing as things have shifted over the past year, a few times at least. 
GrammyMuseum.org is its website. We will put that website in the show notes. Adam Adrock Horowitz was a boy from Manhattan who played punk rock music as a kid. When guitarist John Barry quit a different punk rock band called the Young Aborigines, Adam joined that band. As time went on, this new band changed its sound from punk to a new form of music called hip-hop. They originally had three guys, Adam, Michael, Mike D. Diamond, and Adam MCA Youch, and also a girl. But the girl, Kate Schellenbach, left the group and became the drummer for the band Luscious Jackson, who had one major hit of their own called Naked Eye. I digress, though. The rest of this hip-hop band went on to have a massive career and are now members of not only the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but the Grammy Museum Hall of Fame. The band is the Beastie Boys. The Beasties experimented with hip-hop and put out an EP called Cookie Puss, whose title track was them prank-calling a Carvel ice cream store. Listen. Gotta get your entertainment from somewhere. It was the 80s, after all. Not a whole lot to do. Wasn't like you were on the internet at that point. Because Cookie Puss did so well, the band decided to go into hip-hop full-time, which is what led to Kate leaving the band. The group hired a DJ for their shows named Rick Rubin, who went to New York University at that point. Rick decided to go into producing and got another friend from NYU named Russell Simmons to form a record label with him. They called it Def Jam Records. When that was formed, the first group Rick wanted on it was the Beasties. The group recorded their debut album, which they were going to call something with a homophobic name, but that idea was blissfully killed. The group also did something that at the time wasn't too popular. Usually, an artist will put out one, possibly two lead singles from an album before releasing the entire thing. The Beasties released three. They started with Hold It Now in April 1986, then released Paul Revere. A week before they released their album, now called License to Ill, they released The New Style. One month after that, the group released the song and music video that would break things wide open for them. You gotta fight for your right to party. Once that song came out and the video made heavy rotation on MTV, it was off to the races. The group also released the songs Brass Monkey, Girls, and No Sleep Till Brooklyn, which featured a guitar solo from Carrie King from Slayer, who Rick was also producing at the exact same time he was producing the Beasties. The Beastie Boys then went out on the road to support the album. They opened for Madonna in America just when she was becoming a superstar. The boys performed with a big inflated penis on stage, which infuriated the mainly conservative Western countries. Remember, this was the era of the moral majority, Bible Belt preachers, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. The tour made headlines for all the wrong reasons. In England, it was just so much worse. The British press manipulated the public by proclaiming the Beasties as a menace to society in general. And then things really came to a boil during a concert in Liverpool, England, when a riot broke out and Adam Horowitz was actually arrested for assault. Uh, 
As far as the album itself went, it became one of the fastest selling albums of all time, eventually selling over 10 million certified copies in America alone. The importance of the album to hip-hop cannot be understated. It became the first hip-hop album to hit number one on Billboard's Albums chart. It also helped to get hip-hop played on MTV, which was finally warming up to the idea that hip-hop was not going to go away anytime soon and would definitely not a fad. The Beasties, along with Run DMC not much later, made hip-hop cool for suburban kids to listen to. Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer, a few years later, would water hip-hop down enough, for better or worse, so it would be cool for suburban mothers to listen to it, thus completing hip-hop's rise in pop culture to accepted status. After that album came classics like Paul's Boutique, Ill Communication, Hello Nasty, Check Your Head, and To the Five Burrows, with singles like So What You Want, Sabotage, and Intergalactic. On the night of the group's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2012, one member was missing, Adam MCA Youch. Unbeknownst to the general public at the time, MCA was in the final stages of cancer on that date. He passed away not too long thereafter, only a couple weeks to be precise. The Beastie Boys' classic breakthrough album, License to Ill, inducted into the Grammy Museum Hall of Fame in 2021. And that is it for this episode of the Music Halls of Fame podcast. For more podcast episodes, which drop every Thursday in audio and video form, then please like, subscribe, and click the notification bell on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from. <laughs> <laughs>